0: Hey guys, how's it going? Happy Monday. Hope you all had a good weekend. Get out there, get some sunshine in those bones. This past week, I was listening to a podcast and I found it to be really inspirational, so I started taking down some notes. And some of the things that they were talking about in there that I really wanted to bring to you guys, because I thought it would be super useful, at least on this Monday, maybe inspire you a little bit, is to focus on what is your purpose. Do you live with purpose? Do you live with passion? I think it's always important to kind of check in with yourself and say, like, is this what I want to be doing? Am I happy? Am I feeling so-? The second one that I thought was really just a cool quote was, stay true to the ideas that you hold to be possible. Pretty much meaning, like, those things that you thought of when you were a kid that you're like, this is what I'm going to strive for, like, I can do this, and as you became an adult and you added more and more boundaries onto your life and limited yourself more, just remember to not get too jaded. And the final one is to enjoy the journey. This week I am super happy to have this guy on the podcast. I just reached out to him on LinkedIn and I was looking into him, and I kind of was intimidated to do this interview, actually. He has such a big resume that the more research I did on him, the more I was like, oh my god, this guy's the real deal. (laughs) So I'm really thrilled that I was able to lock him in and get him on the podcast. Here's my nice little intro that I wrote up. Rob Murray is an extremely talented man that has had an amazing professional and coaching career. He has played over a hundred NHL games and over a thousand AHL games. He has been inducted into the AHL Hall of Fame and had his jersey retired by the Springfield Falcons and still holds the title for the second most penalty minutes in the AHL. He has coached at the AHL level and the ECHL level and won a championship with the Alaska Aces. Now he is named the head coach and the head of operations for the Tulsa Oilers. Even with his background, he is extremely humble. His love for the game resonates off of him. He will take the time to talk and teach and mentor anyone as he knows it will help to elevate the sport. Listen to him talk about his professional career, his coaching career, his thoughts on enforcers, and what he has seen change during his duration in hockey. So let's go ahead and jump into this interview. I hope that you guys enjoy it, and don't forget to give me five stars. Thank you. Hi. Hi.
1: Right. All right, the first question we have for you, do you know Ryan crethers?
2: I know Crutty, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I played two years of junior for Ryan. Yeah. He,
2: um, he played for me for one... Well, actually, got him. I got him at the trade deadline when I was in Alaska. And so he played just part of the year for me that year. And then um, he was a coach in Corpus Christi last year. Yeah. And for last year's draft. And my son got drafted to Corpus Christi. So... Um, so you drafted your son? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then he left and went to Robert Morris. Gotcha. We we went to training camp in Detroit and the first conversation he had with me was like, Hey, I just wanna let you know I'm I'm leaving. And so they hired another guy. But now my son didn't play there like he made the team but he didn't play there last year because of school. Yeah. They want he, he had a senior year left in school and they didn't want him to or myself and my wife, we did we wanted him to go to a brick and mortar school. Mm-hmm. And all they, all they offered was online. So we decided for him to play U18 for one more year. And then Corpus Christi, he made the team again. He got tendered and the whole deal. And then they went dark for the season.
1: Oh, that's true. Because my brother then, was going to go try out for them, and then they all went dark and everything.
2: Yeah, so now – but then they had a dispersal draft, and he got picked up by Fairbanks. So,
1: oh, I didn't even know they did that. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, so the two teams, it was Kansas City and – and Corpus Christi decided not to play, and so he got picked up in the draft. So he's he's got a place to play at least as of right now. So and he
1: wanted to go to Alaska just like you did, or what?
2: Well, he was there with me for six years. Oh. I mean, not not Fairbanks. <laughs> it's a it's a lot colder than Anchorage. I tell you that much. Really? Yeah,
1: <sighs> Alaska. Um Yeah. All right. So let's start on like your playing career. Kind of like how you got into hockey when you were super young, and then kind of a little bit about the OHL back in the '80s, and then NHL draft and stuff.
2: Well, I started. Um, I started with my. I guess my dad was. Uh, he was a big fan. He was. He was uh, actually an immigrant from Scotland, and never played the game whatsoever. And but we growing up in Toronto, everybody played hockey. So he got me into hockey. Probably, I guess, as soon as you could play, four or yeah. five. And, you know, I did well. I was always excelling at the game and, and enjoyed it and I loved the game. And then, um, yeah, my, I got drafted by Peterborough, uh, in the 15th round in the OHL draft. And so I was a real long shot to make the team. And, you know, and I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. Like I I was not supposed to make the team because of a couple of guys that they had drafted ahead of me, but then decided to take NCAA, the NCAA route. Oh. So, so those spots kind of opened up. And I was able to make the team, so I went from one, one summer being a 15th round pick by Peterborough to being a third round pick by the Washington Capitals the next year.
1: Oh, I didn't know it was back to back like that really.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. So I, to this day, I I don't know what I, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't made the junior team. Yeah. And so it's, uh, I was, I was fortunate enough to, you know, make the Peterborough Pete's. Had a, had a great time there. Three years, lifelong friends. You know, I'm, I'm sure, like you, yeah. you said, Tyler, you played junior. Like, yeah, you'll be friends with friends with those guys forever. And we got, I got picked by Washington, and then uh, I I signed a contract about halfway through my second year of, of junior, okay. and um, and then turned pro after my third year. And you know, not, you know, it, it was I was a 20 year old rookie. Yeah, And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I was looking to play pro hockey from yeah. day one, you know, so I, wasn't, so I really didn't have much, much in reserve other than I was going to play, play pro hockey. And if it didn't work out, then I would have to figure it out from
1: there. So did you ever think about going the college route or were you pretty Canadian style? You wanted to play major, junior? <laughs>
2: I want to play major junior, but I honestly didn't get many offers. I got, I think I got a form letter from Cornell, okay. uh, maybe one, one or, one or two other, other teams, but I never got any interest in, gotcha. like to, a, to a point where I was going to, a scholarship where there really wasn't anything out there.
1: Yeah.
2: And so, so I, I, I stuck to the junior and, and quite honestly, I mean, it was, that was my dream, uh, to play junior hockey and, and, and then hopefully move on and, and play pro hockey.
1: Yeah. Definitely. I saw something today on the internet you fought Brennan Shanahan in the OHL. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: That's a pretty legendary fight, huh? Yeah,
2: you should look it up. It's probably one of the best fights I was ever in. I
1: watched it. You guys were oh, you- <laughs> uh, no. and I, did- I
2: think, I think well, what happened was that we got, we got two minute minors and they were coincidental minors, so we came out of the penalty box at the same time. And we both looked at each other, and we both left our gloves in the in the penalty box.
1: No way! So
2: yeah, so we we came out, and I know that in a Stan Fischler book, I believe somebody told me that Channy said that that was his first fight ever. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah. So it was that was that was a really good fight. I mean, yeah, no, you.
1: Know, of, the pants you guys were wearing those looked pretty. Uh,
2: <laughs> they were, they were Cooperalls, is what they were called.
1: <laughs> yeah, those are awesome. And then into pro, so. Your second all-time in American League penalty minutes. That's pretty yeah. awesome.
2: Well, it took a lot of hard work. Yeah, um, that.
1: <laughs> that's still you an amazing know, thing. And over a thousand games played in the American League, and over a hundred yeah. in the NHL. Yeah, so that's a pretty um, good pro career.
2: I, I had a I had an excellent pro career. I mean, sixteen years. Um, really, can't ask for much more than that. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I wasn't the biggest guy, and I was, you know, the, the penalty minutes. I, I can say I found the Pelling Minutes, but they found me too. Mm-hmm. I, I was a rat. I was a rat and I was, I was really good at it. And so I had guys chasing me all the time and, and I had, I had my, you know, I had my fair amount of fights, but I, I wasn't a heavyweight. I fought, but I it wasn't necessarily, uh, the big tough guys on the other team. And you know, Pelling Minutes just kind of <laughs> followed me around. And, <laughs> the worst sto- about that story is that, so, I believe the Pelley minute record had stood for like I don't know thirty years or something like that, and I finally broke it. And then so I was number one for a while. And then when I was about three years out of pro, I had retired. And Dennis Bondy, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah, I saw he he, he surpassed me. So
1: <laughs> he crushed it. He did. He's like four thousand yeah. or something. I was like, oh my god. Oh, I
2: don't. But he, I mean. Dennis Bondy was a heavyweight and, oh, and, and good at doing his job yes yeah
0: so we just watched the Ice Guardian have you ever seen that movie many times so how do you feel about enforcers in the game and how they're trying to take it to less fighting now I don't mind the
2: less fighting to me I have no issues with but I agree with a lot of the things that the guys say about accountability uh, on the ice uh, for for guy honestly a guy like myself. You know, I was a rat, and if I went after a, a Wayne Gretzky or a Mario Lemieux, you knew I was going to have to Answer. pay the price. Yeah, and and I knew that, and so I was willing to do it. But now, uh, you know, they, they they talk about Sidney Crosby about how you know how he gets, you know, the multiple concussions he had, probably from the fact that guys. Back in the day he would have never got hit like he gets hit anymore and, or now. So I, I agree with that part of it. I, I do believe there's a, a place for it. I know they're weeding it out, but little by little the guys that do that kind of job and there's not too many left, but these guys can now play. Yeah. Like like when I when I played in the NHL, there was guys that did not belong there, but they were there to be the, the enforcer and the and the tough guy. And he that you know like you know they might get one or two shifts a game and chances are one of those two shifts are gonna get the fight so um i I agree with a lot of things that they said I mean I, I'm in that camp that that it, it should be allowed but little by little uh, you know it's just I think generationally it'll change where kids coming through through junior hockey where you really can't fight there yeah. as much anymore and you know that kind of thing that it'll you know, keep getting to a point where there just, just won't be anybody doing it anymore, you know, so. No, oh, I like that.
0: What do you think your best fight was?
2: I, I think that that was probably my best fight, yeah. Shanahan, the <laughs> Shanahan fight, Jr. That was a good one. You know, I, I, I've had a lot. I mean, I had a lot of fights. I, I don't know what my average was per year. I was, I, you know, had a lot of them, but, uh, you know, that one was just a absolute toe-to-toe. And, you know... End of the day, I don't think either either one of us got hurt. You know, it, it probably it? looked like it. Probably looked like you know. I don't remember cutting him or hitting him really hard, or you know. But so luck in the draw sometimes. But uh I, I think I think that would that might have been one of my best fights that I've, I've ever had.
1: Yeah, that one was pretty. And and the guy ended up being a legend. So. <laughs> Yeah, um yeah
2: we both I, we actually grew up to get uh close to each other in Toronto which I didn't know him he's I think he's a year younger than I am and uh, so we have have mutual friends because of you know where we where we grew up
1: yeah have you like talked to him ever like since that or like
2: I honestly don't think I have I played against him you know through the years uh mm-hmm. he was in uh the NHL and and uh the time I spent there I played against him a couple times but uh, uh I I don't think I don't think we really Cross paths yeah. uh per se.
1: And then um your first NHL okay. goal, do you remember it?
2: Yeah, I went off my foot. No it way. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah it was against the Islanders at the Cap Center. Uh well where the Caps used to play. It was called the Cap Center in okay. Landover, Maryland. And I was just driving hard to the net, Defenseman shot it, hit my foot, went in, and that was that was my first goal. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's a good one.
0: What about your first AHL goal?
2: Wow. I don't even remember that one. That would have been my second year because I played in, in what was the IHL my first year in Fort Wayne. Gotcha. And then, so my, my second year pro was in Baltimore. And, uh, I don't remember my first American League goal. I do remember my first pro, pro goal and that, that would have been in Fort Wayne. And I was, I was snake bit and I, it was New Year's Eve and, and I, 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 I we we're, were playing, I believe it was Saginaw. And I stole a puck and, I, I quite honestly, took a slap shot. Really, you know, I can almost picture it now. The goalie should have stopped it. But regardless of that, you know, like that was my first pro goal. Uh, it was at, at home in Fort Wayne. Like I said, it was New Year's Eve. It took me a while to get off the schneid. Yeah.
1: Um. So rewind it just a little to the NHL draft. So a year yeah. before your NHL draft, you, were, you didn't even know if you were going to play in the OHL that year. What was it like to get drafted in the like in the NHL and everything?
2: Well, obviously I mean it was it's a dream come true. I, you know, that's what I I wanted. I I you know, I dreamed about and then it so happened that the the draft was in Toronto, which was great. And so my mom and dad were there with me and uh, not that they wouldn't have traveled wherever but you know, we we were from Toronto, so yeah. It was it was uh, at the convention center in Toronto and I I uh, I remember Dick Todd, who was my coach in Peterborough, he was also a scout for Washington. And he was sitting at the table down on the floor. And I was, I was up in the bleachers, right? Yeah. And I was just, I guess I was just looking to the next team that was going to pick. And I was, I was following the tables. And I, so I was on Washington and Dick caught my eye and he just, he just leaned back and he gave me a big nod like this. And so I, he gave me kind of the heads up that it was coming. And the funny thing is that there really wasn't much fanfare. You know, that you, you went and met met the people at the table, and it was the fanfare was I believe either the pick before me or the peak pick, uh, pick after me was Keith, Wayne Gretzky's brother, and so so uh, that was that was a bunch of fanfare. Buffalo picked him, and so uh, but. It was great. It was awesome. I That day, I, I met my, my future agent, and like I said, I was such a late draft pick into the OHL, almost an afterthought, that following season, I became a third-round pick in the NHL. So, you know, whether I progressed or I was just that good to begin with, and, and nobody really noticed me in midget hockey, it was, you know, that that's how it all kind of transpired.
1: Gotcha. And you played against Gretzky's brother in the OHL, right? Yeah, I would have, yes. Gotcha. Uh, was, and then I would have played against him in pro... And then um, play again against Wayne Gretzky a few times too Did you? in my career. Do you remember your first time yep. playing against Wayne?
2: I believe it was in and um, getting back to the enforcer rule yeah. or or getting back to enforcers. You know, like Wayne Gretzky never got hit, and uh, and I, I never forget we were at the LA Forum. And he was playing for the Kings at the time. I would have played against him when he was in Edmonton uh, prior to that, but the one night in in LA, so. Right along the boards, I kind of rubbed him out. It wasn't a big hit, you know, like it wasn't – uh I didn't knock him down, you know, or anything like that. And he he turned around and punched me in the back of the head and ended up getting a two-minute minor. And so probably, I mean, it's just probably one of the memories I have about playing against Wayne Gretzky. But that's where – so later in the game, uh, I, I can't remember. I, I think it was Wells, who was their tough guy, came out and had a face-off. <laughs> And he just, and he looked at me and he says, don't touch Wayne again. He goes, I don't want to come back out here.
1: (laughs) That's awesome.
2: So yeah, it was, it was Jay Wells. And, and so, you know, that's where that, and I knew, I mean, and, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't target him per se, you know, it was just in the rhythm of the play, but it happened. And, but that's where getting back to the ice guardians talk, you know, on, on that movie, there was a guy that came out. And let me know that that was not uh, acceptable.
1: (laughs) It's not going to (laughs) fly.
2: No.
0: So we talked about the NHL draft, and I'm sure you felt very accomplished that day. Did you feel accomplished when you got inducted into the AHL Hall of Fame?
2: I did. I was – I wondered – you know, I didn't know what the criteria was because I I never won a championship in in the American Hockey League. Obviously, playing – as many games as I did, and the penalty minutes, and, and whatever goes with it, and I, I think I, I think probably throughout my career I was I was the captain of almost every team I played for. But I, I my criteria, my my worry was that there was a certain criteria that you had to have won a, a, a championship, or I didn't even know. I was just in my own head, and a couple of years went by, and there was guys getting inducted younger than me, and and I was I was just wondering whether. You know, I'd ever get that call and I was in my office when I was coaching in Alaska and Dave Andrews, who's uh, the former now commissioner of the American league, he called me and I I looked at my phone and I hadn't talked to Dave in years and I just, I I did obviously didn't put two and two together at at first. So we get talking and just kind of, you know, chit chatting. And then, you know, he, he just, he told me and I, I literally, I, I, I welled up. I was, I was, I was so. I don't know, it, it was, I felt that I deserved it, yet I didn't know whether it would come. Yeah. And when it when it did, it was, it was, um, it's so rewarding, work that I put in through my career. And, you know, that was, that was something, that was special. I was, you know, obviously right up there, if not the best, best memory of my, my uh, pro hockey career is getting inducted in the American Hockey League Hall of Fame.
0: That's awesome. Was that the same day that they retired your jersey? Sorry? Was that the same day that they retired your jersey for the Springfield Falcons?
2: No, that was, um, that was a few years ago. That was, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure what year that was, but that was when I was coaching in Providence. And so we had that ceremony. And, and I know that they, they had planned on doing it a couple times, uh, but Springfield was getting a big Jumbotron. And they wanted to make, you know, they wanted to do it, and they wanted to do it right with the jumbotron. So they waited a couple of years. I had known prior to that that they were going to retire my jersey, and so when um, when it happened, or, or when we 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 had it happen, and I can't remember the year, but it was late to two thousand like nine type type thing, I believe. But so that was that was a lot earlier than when when I, I got inducted into the Hall of Fame.
1: So you, I saw that you played some games in Winnipeg. For the, in the NHL, I looked kind of yeah. the guys who were at Winnipeg at the time, and I saw like Taimu Solani and Keith Kachuk were some of the guys on there. Was that a pretty like amazing locker room to kind of be around?
2: Yeah, we had you know we had um, we had a lot of good players. I mean, there was uh, like you said, Taimu Solani, Thomas Steen, Phil Housley.
1: You know, there was there was a lot of guys. Eddie Oldcheck. I mean, oh, it, I saw Eddie Oldcheck was was in of, there. Yeah, th- there was a lot of guys that
2: had especially Timo. I mean, he, you know, he was, he was amazing. Um, We had a great, we we had a, it was, it was fun to go be there. And when I was there, what I found, because Winnipeg at the time, and still to this day, I guess, is a small town for an NHL city. But because of it, I I, I felt that the team bonded better. Like, you know, we hung out, we hung out a lot more, kind of like we, the guys do in the American League a little bit more. And, I love my time there. I, I love the city. You know, I was I was up and down, but you know, I, I spent I spent uh, at times I, I spent quite a bit of time there. I was just uh, a healthy scratch, or <clears throat> there was a couple times I was injured, so I was up for quite a bit. And then I signed the contract when they moved to Phoenix, and you know, I moved with the team from Winnipeg to Phoenix. So I believe all in all, I think it was under contract with Winnipeg Jets for almost ten years.
1: So do you think, because majority of, like you said, in your American League career, you were a captain, do you think going up to the NHL and coming down and seeing both sides of the game helped you kind of into that leadership role and being able to lead guys who are younger than you and then even eventually into your coach career?
2: I believe so. I mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's a big, it's even at, at our level, <clears throat> I see guys that go from our level to the American League and then they come back. There's a different standard that you're held by. And obviously the, 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 the game is a lot better, it's faster, It's uh, the guys are stronger, bigger, the, all the bells and whistles. But yeah, I mean, there was, you know, the, I learned a lot when I was in the NHL about what it takes. You know, like Randy Carlisle was, was uh, on that team in Winnipeg. Uh, Rod Langway here when I was playing, Scott Stevens when I was playing here cool. in, in, with the Cap- Capitals. Uh, Dale Hunter. You know, like these guys taught me. I mean, you know, I was still a young guy. I was 23, 24 when I was playing NHL games and these guys taught me what it, did, what it really meant to be a pro. And I, I take that to the next point when I, I became a coach and, you know, just being in the, the locker room at the pro, uh, the Boston Bruins training camp and just being in awe of the physicality of these guys, like their, their body composition Yeah, that, you know, like, the day one at training camp they show up and they look like this. Whereas, you know, when I, I I trained hard in the summer, but it was more of a you went to training camp to get in shape. Yeah. And not you didn't show up in shape. Now now that's demanded because I mean not only that, training camp in the NHL when I was playing, we would go two weeks before our first exhibition game. Now it's two or three days. You know, they they get they get going real quick. Yeah. So so the guys It it is a, you know, obviously it's a job, but it's it it is a twelve months job, and these guys take it seriously. And I think, I think a little bit of the that mentality I took from my time in the NHL, and and especially some of the the veteran players I played with, that you know really kind of took me under their wing and and showed me the way.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. I think that's that's huge, like way to look at it too. Is you get taught by some of the best players ever play the game. So
2: yes, yeah.
0: How did you know that you were ready to retire from playing?
2: When I got a job coaching. <laughs> oh,
0: um, so you were offered the job while you were still playing?
2: Well, no. I, so I ended up playing the 16 years pro, but I had, I had intention to try to get into coaching. And probably after my 14th year, I started sending out resumes, you know, calling people. Just nothing happened after, after that summer, so I went back and played same thing the following summer. So it was, you know, going into my 16th year, just, I I just couldn't find a job in the coaching business. So, so I, I stuck with it and played another year. And, um, that following summer, I, I still might've, if the coaching job hadn't come along, I was planning on playing a 17th year, but, but it was, uh, it was late in the summer, it was in August, and, uh, Jeff Gordon, who was the assistant general manager, who's now the, uh, general manager of New York Rangers, mm-hmm. and Michael Connell was the general manager of Boston. They were in, um, an arbitration meeting in Toronto, and they had had some coaching movement just recently, and so they, I got, I got a call, asked me if I'd interview, so I, I went down, met them at the Harbor Castle Hotel, which is a huge hotel in, in downtown Toronto and had, had breakfast with him. Michael Connell called me the next morning, offered me the assistant job in Providence and the rest is history. There you go.
0: <laughs> How was it coaching alongside Scott Gordon there?
2: To this day, I, I believe that what I, what I learned from Scott, I was, I was lucky. I was lucky to have a guy like him to kind of break into the, the coaching ranks with he taught me so much i didn't know the first thing about video i didn't know i mean you know as a player you don't you don't think of what the coaches do right i mean you, you, you just think they show up run practice and they they go home and they got the day off but it's it's a it's a grind you know being a coach is a grind and 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 he taught me that he was he was excellent for me and and i to this day i i don't know that i would have been as successful as a coach or maybe stuck with it if if it hadn't been for him he he, he really he really again took me under his wing and and showed me the way uh, as far as coaching went
0: definitely was it bittersweet to see him go or were you excited to step up into a spot and be the head coach
2: well i mean obviously i was you know my my ultimate goal was to be the head coach in the american league and and when scott got the job with the islanders um you know i, I still i didn't I didn't get the job right away. It was a interview process with Peter Shirelli, who was the GM at the time in Boston. And so I went through the interview process and eventually I got later that summer, I officially got the job. But um, it, it was bittersweet. I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed my five years as assistant coach with Scott, but I was ho- hoping that there was going to be an opportunity and, and, and
1: nothing better than just staying in Providence where I was. And in Providence you coached some pretty amazing players. Like what guys do you think like who were some of like the top guys you coached in Providence in your mind?
2: Well, right o- right away, uh you know, I remain a Boston Bruins fan because I had Tukarask, I had uh, Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, um Adam McQuaid who was there but now now moved on and he might Adam might be retired, Brad Marchand, uh um, you had Marchand. You know, yeah, he he played for played a year and a half for me. And that was when I was a head coach. Bergeron, Kretchy, and um, a couple of the other guys, they were, the, the lockout year, we had, they sent a lot of the younger guys down in the American Hockey League, and we had those guys when I was assistant coach. Tuca, I had, um, I believe, a year uh, as a, when I was a head coach. And um, so I had I had Brad Marchand for two years, or a year and a half. And then he got called up, never came back. Uh, but there was a lot of guys that came through Providence that, We're on that Stanley Cup team, I believe in 2011. That you know that was that we had we had not just myself, but Scott prior to me had coached, and they moved up to the NHL. So really rewarding when when those guys become the players they are, especially a guy like Marci and and Bergeron, like Tuca. I mean, these guys are top players in the NHL even now. You know, now they're getting, you know, it's we're talking we're we're talking. 12, 13 years ago that I was there, so. Yeah, no,
1: that's not. Awesome.
2: You know, they're getting a little bit, they're getting a little bit older, but they're still
1: producing and, and, uh, top players at the NHL level. For those guys who do make the, the big jump and don't really come back down, what do you think it is? Is it a mindset or is it their speed or what would you say as a coach?
2: A lot of it to me, uh, comes down, obviously natural talent. I mean, you can't, you can't really get much or get very far without it. It's their work ethic. And you know, like Marshawn, like I, I, I'd have to blow the whistle like three times in practice to like if we're doing a drill and I blow the whistle, he wouldn't stop. Like he, he just he was a dog on a bone. Like he just he was so passionate. It didn't matter about practice. Didn't matter whether it be game or practice. And he just, I mean, he was relentless. And and he wanted to win everything. Like even just a little drill in practice. Like it was it was so important for him to win that. Bergeron, on too. I mean just the work ethic and, and getting back to what I talked about earlier, how these guys take care of themselves and how they prepare and, and and they take it so seriously as a as as their job. And and these guys they knew. I mean they were they were prepared, they knew how to do it. You know, Tuka's the same way. I mean goalies Goalie's always a little weird, and and you know they're they're just that way. But but he was you know he he, he worked hard. He deserved everything he got. I meaning he's and he's proved it. So I think the biggest thing that I saw out of all those guys was their work
0: ethic. So you went from there to the Alaska Aces. How did you like being with the Aces?
2: I loved it up there. I mean it was a great experience for myself and my family. You know, we we moved up there, and and uh, we were there for six years. I uh, inherited a very good team to begin with, so we were we were very competitive that season. My third year, we won the we won the championship, the Kelly Cup in 2014. The ownership group there too at the ECHL level, they did everything first class. Um, guys, there was a love hate relationship with Alaska, where when you're recruiting guys, it was either they, there's no way they were going to Alaska, or there was guys that. Just loved the, the, the idea of the, the adventure, right? And, and so, uh, one, once they got there, they didn't want to leave because the way they were treated by the ownership. And, um, you know, that we, for that reason, you know, we always, we had good teams every year. We didn't make the playoffs for a few years, but, uh, um, you know, we, we always had very competitive teams. And then my first three years, we won the, won the overall, overall championship of, of the season, the Bramham Cup. And that, you know, that, that was the, you know, I don't, I think that still stands as a record at the ECHL level. So in 2013,
1: 2014, you guys had some goalie issues in Alaska. Do you remember that?
2: Well, right at the end we did. We had Olivier Waugh and we had, uh, Gerald Coleman and, uh, which were two of the top, top goaltenders in the league and Coleman was he was essentially my starter, but what I did, and it was probably unheard of, but I, I just rotated them in uh, in the playoffs, and and then uh, Olivier Watt, he he blew out his groin in I think in a conference final, and um, and and Coleman was 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 basically he ended up having hip surgery that following summer and retired because he he couldn't play much anymore, so. I remember when we won the game, game six, uh, for the championship in, in Cincinnati, Coleman looked at me on the ice and just said, I don't think I could have played game seven. Like he, he, oh. That's how that's how hurt he was. So we, we limped through right at the end there just to, you know, the goaltending situation. Was that what you were referring to? Or
1: Well, I didn't know it was all that. I figured it was because I was looking through <laughs> elite prospects, and I saw that you guys had a lot of goalies come in and out of your program that year. Yeah. And so that year so I'm from Lake Tahoe which is not too far it's in California and yeah. there was this like adult league goalie who would just always skate with me and he would say I want to play pro hockey and you guys played Stockton when Stockton was in the East Coast League yeah. and he ended up being your guys' emergency backup goalie for the game
2: <laughs> yeah well the emergency backup especially when you when you're on the road because I've got I've got about four or five guys in Tulsa I can use you know at a you know, but when you lose a goalie when you're on the road, you you depend on the the opposing coach. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I'll call the the coach on the other team and say, "Do you have a number for me? I need a guy." And so I don't remember. I mean, we we use e-bugs. That's what we call them: e-bugs, <laughs> emergency backup goalie. But um, I don't remember the the game. But I, I do remember um, quite oftenly whether due to injury or when you're on the road. And then a goalie gets called up to the American League. You got to scramble and try to find a yeah. find a guy.
1: Well, you made this guy's life. Like he still <laughs> talks about it all the time. Like he'll still yeah. message me. He'll message me on like social media still when he sees me post something for hockey. and He's like, you "Remember when I got called up, man? That was the best day <laughs> ever." Yeah, and then like small world, I end up just interviewing you guys. <laughs> like,
2: yeah. Funny. Yeah, it is a small world.
0: So the year that the Alaska Aces won their championship, what do you think it was with that team that did it? Just the perfect mixture of everyone or everyone's commitment to the game?
2: It was we had an excellent team and I was lucky enough that that season San Francisco was in in, in the league and they they actually folded at around I think right about Christmas time. And so I was able to snatch up two of their best players. And so that really solidified my lineup and you know that was that was a big big part of our our success going forward and Finley and um, Morrison that that I got from San Francisco so two of their top players and they decided to come to Alaska so that, that was awesome we had a good team we had a great affiliation with Calgary uh we had a lot of depth we had the players that Calgary provided for us that year were were difference makers And, and, uh, Turner Allison, Zach McKelvey, guys like that, that, you know, made a difference for us, uh, that year in Alaska.
1: Do you think having an American league program that you're connected to plays a big role or as a coach, do you think it'd be easier to be one of the East coast league teams who kind of, you can get your guys to go all over the place?
2: Well, I, I had that experience. We were independent, I believe two of my, maybe just one, maybe two of the years that I was in Alaska. And it's tough because as I mentioned, if you're getting NHL contracts or American League contracts, on paper, these guys should be better than what is in the ECHL. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not disparaging the players that play in the ECHL, but just in general, like it only makes sense that these guys should be better. And you see it at our, at our level right now where really the teams that are supplied the most contracted players from the American League or the NHL, Really make a difference. I think it's a big benefit to have American League and NHL affiliate. So, you know, we were with St. Louis and Anaheim the last two years and then we're going to be, uh, we're solely now with Anaheim and signed a three year deal with them a couple months ago. So, uh, really excited about that because I think they've made a big commitment to Tulsa and, and players that they provided the lot last, last couple of years have really, really helped us
1: out. I've always wondered that because you always hear people say like, As the players' aspect, some guys want to be able to go up wherever they want, but the coaching aspect, it's like it's nice to have that connection. Well,
2: that yeah, that doesn't really change. Anybody on just an ECHL deal, they can go anywhere. It doesn't matter if you're affiliated or not. It's the guys obviously on American League deals, yeah, two-way deals with San Diego or potentially guys that are on NHL deals that with Anaheim. That they can only go to San Diego. They can't, you know, they can't go anywhere else. But everybody else that is signed on my team to an ECHL standard players contract, they are available to any American League team at any time. Gotcha.
0: With Alaska being such a good program and you guys having such good seasons, why did they end up folding?
2: Well, I think it was a little bit of a few things. And and, um, as I mentioned, the ownership was great And, and they had You know, they had the best interest for the players at all times. One thing happened was all the California teams went to the American League. So it made our travel much harder and more expensive because we had to travel all the way out to the East Coast, Manchester, Elmira, and we did Atlanta, Greenville. Like We did those trips. Whereas prior to that, when we were playing Stockton and Bakersfield and Ontario and San Francisco and Vegas, you know, we weren't. We're basically, even though Alaska is so far away, we're just going up and down the coast. Yeah, And travel wasn't hard, and it wasn't as expensive. That was one of the reasons. I think the economy itself, because Alaska is so, uh, obviously, an oil-producing state, and oil had kind of tanked at the time, and it really hurt our attendance. And one, I, I believe that was basically, more than anything, the, the main reason. Our attendance levels dropped, and I know that our ownership... They weren't in it to make money, but I can tell you right now, they weren't in it to lose money either. So they had back to back years where they lost money and there was a group of six and none of them were for the most part, you know, individually rich enough to own the team outright as a group of six. And they were, but like I said, all they wanted to do was provide a, a entertainment to the people of Anchorage and it didn't matter if they just broke even. But then once they started losing money, you know, nobody wants to lose money. So, I, you know, there was a couple of factors that went into it.
0: So you've seen the game change quite a bit since you've been involved. What do you think some of the changes, like the changes that have influenced the game in the good way and things that have influenced the game in the wrong way?
2: Well, I've always been a big fan of when they took the red line out as far as the two-line pass. Yeah. I think that was that was one of the best, best uh, things. I think the trapezoid is redundant now for the goaltenders. You know, I, I, I kind of, I don't know whether, it really doesn't even come into play anymore, but I would say that, um, you know, one of the things that you see with that is, you know, they used to say that goaltenders were, you know, they, they're coming out of their net like, like a guy like Marty Berdure would come all the way out and play the puck and and uh, be in the corner making a, a breakout pass. But I don't know that goaltenders, there's, there's still a handful of them that handle the puck that well, but. I, I don't know whether that's a, a, a good rule. One of the rules that, that really b- bothers me, and they took it out of the the refs. Basically, the ref doesn't have the decision anymore. But when you shoot the puck out of the, uh, over the glass from your own zone, it's a two minute delay of p- a game penalty. Nobody's intentionally doing it on yeah. purpose, and it's unfortunate because it. it most times it happens at the wrong time of the game. And so I think the discretion could be given back to the referees, you know, to say, Oh yeah, that guy flipped the puck in the stands or he didn't do it on purpose, it's not a penalty. So and I don't know whether that'll ever be changed. But uh I like the way the game is right now. You know, we, we uh you know at the ECHL level we we kinda make new rules that are tried out at our level. Like last season we went to a seven minute uh overtime. And the numbers were staggering. Like, I think it went, it went from like 89% of all games went to a shootout prior to the year. And with a seven minute overtime, I think it, it dropped down to like 61% or something like that. So, you know, I think that it, it's a, that, that rule might be, you know, grandfather not grandfathered in, but, but taken on by the American League and the NHL someday.
1: And then are you a fan of the East Coast League, like considering itself a development league and only having 10 forwards?
2: There's been a lot of argument about that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually on the rules committee and, you know, every summer we, we kind of throw that around where I think coaches would prefer to have 12 forwards, four lines, and especially when you've got two guys sitting out that are healthy, you know, are just sitting in the stands because you don't have them in the lineup. But overall, I think, I think the 10 forwards actually lends to more development. And, um, reason being is that you get, you get a lot more ice time overall yeah. you know like the the players themselves you know like you get guys that are just by default you're playing 20 minutes a night yeah you know because because as a coach you only have 10 forwards so you can't you know you, that's what you you have and, and you, these guys are going to play regardless of their having a good game bad game you have to play them so you know in the development side of it I believe that that really plays a big part, and I like that part of it. I, I don't mind having 10 Fords. I know that we, we discuss it and we kind of argue about it and, and the, the value of maybe doing it. It's, it's kind of always been on the on the table as far as uh, something to, to toy with and, and change, but it, it just never has.
0: So you were saying that in Alaska you had a hard time getting guys out there. It was rather they loved it or they weren't about it. Is it easier to recruit guys to Oklahoma? Yeah,
2: I would say about the same. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like your recruiting process during the summer. I mean, you, you, there's so many players that you talk to. I think if you if, if everybody just agreed to come to your team, you'd have 100 players. <laughs> and, and so everything always works out. You know, everybody's you know the ability to recruit whether it was in Alaska or or Tulsa, I, I would say is about the same. And you know, I, I think that Tulsa, for me. Knowing the league as well as I do now, I, 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 really feel it should be a destination spot for players. You know, the, the weather's nice, uh, the travel isn't too hard. And we play in probably, I would imagine, the, the nicest building. It's, it seats 19,000 people. It's an NHL rink. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, the facilities are, are excellent. And now I, I can't say I've been to all, every, every, uh, arena in the league, but I, I don't, I don't know how any would stack up against or be able to, overtake uh, the BOK Center in Tulsa.
0: Has COVID or like realigning with the new NHL schedule messed with any of your recruiting? Not
2: really. Other than the beginning of the summer, we were under the thought that we were going to start on time, which would have been October 15th. And because of um, COVID and and everything that's been pushed back, we are ready to start December 4th or, or sorry, no earlier than December fourth, so we, you know, we still haven't. We don't know whether that's a hard date yet or not. So the recruiting process. So assuming that we're going to start October fifteenth, I started when I would usually start, and you know, we got a lot of the the players signed early, uh, but in compare, well, in com- now that you know everything's been stretched out, it, that's probably really the only thing. I mean, it's it's been uh, more of a, a wait and see. Than um, you know, guys that are deciding to commit to the team. There's been a lot more of the wait and see attitude this summer.
0: Have any of your players ended up going to Europe while they're like waiting?
2: I know that uh, a guy that I had on uh, on our team last year that was uh, is under contract with Anaheim. He has gone over to the Slovakian league, I believe, and then. Uh, but there's there's a huge player pool coming back right now because of because the british league canceled their season and so you've got a lot of guys that had signed in the british league that are looking for jobs and but the one the one guy that i had went over there but he's he'll be coming back once our season starts and the american league starts i know there was a couple of guys signed from my team from last year over to go to europe they end up going or not i'm not sure it's a moving target right now quite honestly and and nobody really has an answer for anybody. Uh, we're just kind of playing it day by day.
1: All right. I have a few here for you. Best player you ever played with?
2: Best Timo Solani, probably. I would <laughs> say.
1: <laughs> He's awesome. I grew up playing against his sons, so he would always show up in yeah. his super nice cars and his <laughs> hair would be perfect. And he'd always wear flip-flops to the yeah. ring. He was an awesome guy. And then best player you've ever coached?
2: Well, I, I mean, I, I think it goes back to the, those Providence guys we talked about. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, Marshawn, Rask, Bergeron, Krejci, uh, Sabatka uh, was there at the time too. All those guys are probably right up there on the top of the list.
1: And then, out of all your pro career, who was your favorite teammate?
2: Um, <laughs> I, I, that's that's hard. I mean, I, I had a lot of friends through the years. I, you know, Brad Tiley was a guy that we played in Springfield for a few years, and then played in Philadelphia together. Johnny LeBlanc, out when I was in Moncton, was you know was one of my. my Better friends, and then you know, there's different different guys. Chris King was with Winnipeg when I was there. Uh, we played junior together, so we're good buddies. Dallas Akins, who buddies from junior, played pro together. I think I think every team had a different guy, yeah. you know. And so I don't know. I, I I wouldn't. I couldn't. I can't give you a name, but I, I would. I would say like every team that I was on, there was always just like anybody. I mean, you always gravitates to one guy. More yeah. than maybe somebody else, but I enjoyed all my teammates uh, through all all the years. I mean, you know, it's, it's great memories and and great people. Definitely.
0: What is your favorite playing moment and your favorite coaching moment?
2: Favorite playing moment, probably um, I, I would say scoring my first NHL goal. Okay. I mean, that would be you know right up there. Favorite coaching moment, uh, as of now, I, I I really can't I I can't say anything more than you know I never won a championship as a player. And then when we won the championship in Alaska, that definitely was the, the epitome of top of my coaching career as, as of so far and, uh, winning the championship and, and, and then, you know, having that, having that on my resume, I guess, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm a pretty modest guy, but I do feel that it, it really kind of, you know, it goes a long way. That, that you've won a championship. And, and uh, it's a grind. I mean, you know, it, to get to where you you have to be, and, and Tyler, you are talking about the goaltending situation that we had. I mean, you don't have to look any further at, to the NHL playoffs. Like, you know, like uh, Dallas, I mean, right at the end there, they were just, they were just so beaten up. And, and, you know, they gave it everything. But, you know, and then goes out in in the first round because all their top players are hurt. You know, it, it's not – and I'm not saying Tampa Bay wasn't the best team. I'm just saying that it's a war of attrition, and and you got to get through it, and you got to find a way. Guys playing hurt, and and I mean, it's amazing what playoff hockey brings out of hockey players. I mean, guys guys will play with anything, and um, you know they, they just will not be kept out of the lineup. So it was it was a, a, a such a fun ride, uh, you know that year to 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 win the the championship, and and actually. To have experienced it as a coach I went to the finals one year when I was in Moncton we played the Portland uh Pirates we lost in uh six games in the Calder Cup final but you know to get to that point and I knew what it was like to be a player as a coach it was uh it was so so rewarding to get to the top and and, and win the championship
1: no, definitely. It's a, a surreal moment when you win a championship, coach or player. It's a whole different. I actually yeah. won one with crethers in junior. Oh, did you? Yeah, and so like he talked about it the whole year, and like everything he said has just stuck with me. And he was like, "That I think like all the little things he would talk about that were so important." Well, and
2: I, I think you know the winning breeds wing, and and then you know we talked about standards, we talked about accountability
0: earlier in the interview, and
2: and you know. When you get, when you have that experience of winning, you know what it takes, and so I try to pass that along to my players now as a coach and and uh, continuing on as a coach. So it was it was a great moment. Uh, it was funny because uh, you're looking at. Uh, I was just thinking the other night. You watch the NHL playoffs. You watch NFL football. There's nobody in the stands, and so we won. It was a it was a Monday night in Cincinnati. So there was hardly anybody at the game to begin with, and obviously no Alaska Aces fans were there. So they're you know, they doing the ceremony after the game, and I've seen pictures of myself holding the trophy up. There's not one person in the stands. Like, you know, they all, <laughs> the like all gone home. I'm like, that's just like the bubble. You know?
1: so. That's awesome. That's an amazing quote though, uh, breeding, like, the no, winning breeds winning. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's yep. an awesome one, because I think, yep. When I think about that for myself is that whole year is – so Crothers would just talk about his junior championship that he won, and he would say all yeah. these things, and you'd be like, okay, like, this guy's crazy or, like, mm-hmm. all this stuff. Like, he would preach it 24-7. Then we won, and it was like, wow, okay. So everything that guy said yeah. was actually correct.
2: <laughs> like, yeah, and, and then when when you win, you know, like, I, I always thought – and then when you win, you go it's, – it's your aha moment, right? You're like, oh, yeah. that's what he meant. That's what he meant. So I I always thought like these championship rings that that, that teams get I just I thought it's so gaudy like why like why would you like they, they look goofy yeah. if, if, for you know lack of a better word but then the year my last year in Providence it was the year that Boston won the Stanley Cup and I I actually got a Stanley Cup ring from the Bruins and and when it came in. That was my aha moment. It was like, yeah, you know what? It's it, look what I got. You know what I mean? And and so nobody can ever take it away from you. And that's the thing. Like, and that's what I, I told. I remember telling the guys after the game in uh, when we won it, it with Alaska, and uh, we had all the, actually all the parents that were at the game. We had them in the room and. You know, I talked to the guys afterwards, and I said, nobody can ever take it away from you. It's, you know, it was an amazing feeling.
1: So you have two rings. So you have one from the East Coast League and one from the NHL. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, I
2: a, now now I need a Calder Cup ring. Yeah, there it you is. go, so you
1: can have the trio. <laughs> yeah.
0: What advice would you give to players that are trying to play in the East Coast League and to make it to that level of professionals?
2: Well, I think a misconception at our level is, I think guys that play, especially junior and uh, D1 college, that ECHL is, is really, especially in my time at, at this level, it, it's improved dramatically. And it's really good hockey. And uh, I think back in the day, it was maybe a little bit of, you know, thought of as a goon league. And, and you know, it's, it, but it's not. And it's, it, these guys are, we talk about development and, uh, these guys that come through here, I mean, they're, they're developing. They're moving on. They're, they're playing in the American League. Some, you know, there's been guys that have played in the NHL that have, have started in the ECHL. You know, it's, it's a very good league. And, and I think that one of the things is a misconception that it's not. And, and that's one of the things I, I always try to stress when I'm recruiting that it's not a place to come to and think you're just going to light it up. Like these like these are good hockey players, and I think some the guys some guys get it, and then it takes some guys a little bit longer to uh, to get it, and then when they do they they get it figured out but I think that uh it's not a it's not a league you're going to get rich playing, <laughs> like you know the salaries are not where not nearly what they make in the american League or for that matter the NHL but you know if you want to play pro hockey. Especially guys, you know, for me, a guy that uh, has played or has got his degree, in, uh, you know, out of college, kick it around for a couple of years. Like, have some fun. Have some fun with it. And uh, that's what I, you know, I always feel like. Hockey won't be there forever, but your job, you know, a job might be. You're 23, 24 years old. You don't, you don't have to step into the business world right now. And uh, you have the ability to play the game. Take it as far as you can.
1: I like that answer a lot. When you recruit guys to your team, what is like the first thing you look for? What would you say?
2: Right now, speed. You know, depending like regardless of the guy's size, he could be five seven or he could be six three. If today's game, you got to be able to skate, and you got to you got to be able to play it at a fast pace. And if. If you have that, I think as a team, like you build a, a team of guys that can really go, it's going to be an advantage. And um, for me, the game has gotten so much faster. You know, there's not as much hitting, a lot more open space out there. You've got to be able to move. And and so for me, uh, skating ability is is number one on my priority list.
1: And then is there... An attribute or something towards a player that is like a complete turnoff. Like if you see a guy not backcheck, but he had an amazing offensive game, would you talk to this guy, or would you write him off? Like,
2: no, I mean that's, I mean that's part of my job. I mean I have to, I can't coddle guys, and I, I you know, like you said, he, I mean a guy might have two goals and two assists in a game, but he doesn't backcheck on the game-winning goal against. You know that that to me is more formal. Most on my mind than the four points he got. Yeah. So you know that would be something. That'd be a discussion I would have with the player. But one of the things I think that the guys understand about me is that an honest effort. You know, like if uh, regardless we win the win or lose the game, if if there's an honest effort, I'm satisfied. I think it's an overused cliche that oh he hates losing. Well, everybody hates losing, right? <laughs> but you, you want to, and this will sound weird, but you want to lose the right way. Like you you want to know that you you tried your hardest, you did what you could. It just didn't go your way that night. And it's inexcusable to me if if uh, not to get a good work ethic out of a team. And and it's it is noticeable as a coach. You know, you know it's not there, but like I said, uh, for me, guys good in my books as long as he's given everything he's got every night.
0: I love that. Yeah. And then what advice would you give to other coaches?
2: I think that's... uh one of the things that I was told years ago by, uh, Jim Playfair, I was playing in St. John, New Brunswick, and I was, was my second to last year, and we got talking about coaching, and, and he, he said something to me that has stuck forever, and it's just such an easy little thing. He said, you know what? They don't know what they don't know. And I kinda, I kinda thought, what the heck does that mean? And he says, They don't know what they don't know. So what he meant was, as a coach, there's a lot of assumptions that you assume that a guy will know what a 2-1-2 forecheck is or a, you know, uh, structured defensive zone or whatever. And I think as a coach, everybody, there's that assumption that everybody knows what, what is expected. So, Essentially, he don't he doesn't know what he doesn't know means that you have to make sure that as a coach that you don't leave any stones unturned and have all the information for the players and get them prepared as well as you can for the games.
1: I like that one. Yeah, that's a huge one because it's it's funny because you always see these coaches yell at players like throughout my whole career I've heard coaches like why didn't you do this and the kid will be like. Well, I didn't know to do that. And then you're the, like, does the coach yeah. reflect on himself and think, well, did I teach the kid properly? Or like.
2: That's right. That's did, right. So if, if the player didn't know, you hadn't told them. It's not the player's fault.
1: <laughs> exactly. <You know? laughs> I mean, that's a hard thing to do though. Is the accountability within coaches. Like that's, that's tough to be able to look at yourself and be okay, that one's my fault.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I, I've done that. I mean, I've, I've come away from games. If there was something that I was st- like, very rarely, but there'd be times when I'm standing on the bench and I'm like, "Oh God, I forgot to tell them about that you know like it was it was a play that they ran that I watched a pre scout watched another game of theirs um, you know and and I forgot or i I just didn't think it was that as valuable as it needed to be and then it and then it turns out that they run the play on us, and it's successful, and i'm like i knew I knew that was coming you yeah. know what i mean and and i i didn't do enough i didn't do enough as a coach to prepare my team. And that one's on me,
1: you know. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. Anything else?
0: Yeah. Um, so I put up on our Instagram page that I was interviewing you, and let our followers ask some questions. And the one that we got was from a guy named Bucky. That's all it's listed as, and it says, "Do you need me as an assistant coach?" <laughs> <laughs>
2: I've got I've got an assistant coach right now, but. You
0: know.
2: <laughs> That 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 position is filled.
1: <laughs> we'll we'll let Bucky know that you're uh, his job with you.
0: Oh, and oh, okay. so we were researching you to like write up our questions and everything and we found a YouTube video of one of your interviews. And at the bottom of the YouTube video, in the comments, someone put, like, I want to play for your team. Like, I would be so good for your team. I was like, they're just commenting to get on the team for a tryout.
1: On YouTube, <laughs> well, the, guy, the guy commented on YouTube to your post, and he said, yeah. if you get him to come to tryout, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity yeah. for him to stay <laughs> oh, okay. with your team. Yeah,
2: and, and that's that would just be, like, your e-bug friend. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) It might have been him. He might have switched usernames and like just came at you.
0: How funny. Well, I want to say thank you.
2: I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much, and hopefully there's a season this year, and good luck this season. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs)